and how they must also understand this nidham, this order, this system, so that they can incorporate it in their in their economic thinking, if you want to use that word, in their understanding of how to rule and govern and how to make risk available for people. Had Allah now extended his risk and spread his risk for his servants, they would have indeed now rebelled in the earth and they would have caused commotion and havoc and chaos. But the reality is, walakin, the reality is he sends down in appropriation whatever he wants. He sends down in a measure with a, a fixed amount the way he wants to. Indeed, he is with his servants, all-knowing, all-aware, and all-seeing. So Allah knows the state of affairs of his servants. He knows uh, that they need risk and they need <clears throat> some comfort. And he sees what they do with the risk he gives and how they manage that and so on. So here the rule in the cosmos, in the taqween, the divine rule, is that Allah does not uh, simply um, scatter or, shall we say, spread his risk without any plan, without any purpose and so on. So he doesn't throw risk from the heavens so that people can just go out and find the risk wherever it lands. And so there's an order, there's a qadr, there's an appropriation, and there's a measure. So if all people now were to become millionaires and billionaires, then that would cause chaos and havoc. And if all people were paupers, that would also be very chaotic, and so on. So if you overextend the risk of certain people, and they don't know how to manage the risk, and they don't know what to do, etc., then they will become spendthrift and extravagant, and they will do things that are contradictory to now regulating risk and providing they will become very stingy, uh, that money inadvertently makes you very stingy, very possessive uh, from the word possession. It makes you very niggardly. It makes you not want to spend too much and not want to give anything, and so on. So in order to create a psychological and perhaps ethical moral and spiritual balance in the minds and in the uh, behavior of people, there has to be a regulated way to provide risk for people according to their needs and then according to their determination and according to their ambition. Now, all of this obviously falls into the, the realm of human fallibility, uh, human experience, human emotions, and so on. 
So sometimes what happens, or most times what happens, is that people have more money. As I said, they, they don't care about people who don't have anything. And then people who have less money, they're always jealous and always eyeing those who have money. And there's always a competition and all of that. So the ethical platform upon which this needs to be administered is for the people of Shura. Mm. Yeah, so in your government, you must understand that you can't make everybody rich and wealthy to the degree that they become stingy and they don't care for the people and so on. So you must remove the greed from people. That is your ethical mandate for you know, providing economic financial comfort for the people and the subjects of your government. Right, so this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is training the mind of the person who is in shura, that when I'm looking at this, there are certain people who have a lot of money and some people who don't have enough money, that I need to regulate that in such a way that is ethical and also manageable. So you become representatives of Allah's now nidham, Allah's system. You take on Allah's system and you apply this um, rule of uh, so a little bit of, I wouldn't say uh, egalitarian or some kind of equity, but it should be that you have enough resources that people can find for them to earn halal and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the key for Muslim government, that they must provide means of earning, halal means of earning. And if, God forbid, somebody is now totally destitute or handicapped or disabled, then that's a different issue. Those are anomalies. They are ex- exceptions to the rule. They're not part of the, the natural system. So you provide for those who are mahroom, as the Quran says, lissali wal mahroom. The sail, the one who's asking all the time, begging, those are kind of debatable that do you want people to keep on asking and begging and do you want them always to be dependent on that? So the answer is no. You don't want to do that. You don't want to create a system where you're going to encourage begging and encourage people to ask. Uh, So that's why I'm saying you must provide means of halal sustenance uh, to every citizen of your government and so on. So this is how you should do this in line with this nidham that Allah has in the cosmos and so on. So, yeah, there is distribution, as we know, that we, we are required to distribute the money of the wealthy and provide for those who don't have so much. But the idea that uh, people remain sa'ileen, beggars, that, that's not the Muslim way. We never did that. The Prophet some did not like that. The Sahaba didn't like it. And... Obviously, there, there was a, um, a time during the time of the Sahaba Khulafah Rashidun when no one was really eligible for zakat. Uh, so they had to dispense of their zakat only fi sabil or for the Ibn Sabil, the traveler, or someone who might be in debt because of business and so on. But there was no real faqir, there was no destitute there. So that was a major achievement in human history, <clears throat> where you raise the bar of uh, living for every citizen. 
So, so you don't necessarily have, uh, you know, an upper class or a lower class and a middle class. You remove the class altogether. Everybody's on one level. Everybody has enough to eat and drink, and they're comfortable with their living and their clothing and everything else. Then that's how you do this. So, yeah. so it's also about you know many other issues, as you'll see later on in the next ayah. How Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants human beings to rely on Him for risk and sustenance, and not on human beings. Yeah. So does a Muslim citizen rely on the Muslim government? And the answer is no. Huh? What does the government need to do? The government needs to provide for those who are deprived and handicapped and so on. But the Muslim citizen should not bank, uh, literally, on the Muslim government to provide. That kind of idea of baghawa, la baghaw, that's a rebellion, that the people who don't know how to earn and don't want to earn, and they, they, they strangulate, asphyxiate themselves, uh, by banking on the government, and if the government doesn't do what they want to, then they have a rebellion. <laughs> That's not Islam. Islam is about being independent, self-sufficient, having self-respect and self-esteem. I don't want a handout from anyone, especially the government. So welfare is good, but the welfare system is an anomaly. It's not part of the system of kasb, of earning. The system that Islam promotes is the system of kasb, earning, halal earning. So what the government does, it provides means of halal earning for every citizen. If there's an anomaly, an exception, that you have widows or you have uh, someone who's divorced or someone who's homeless, you shouldn't have anybody homeless, somebody's handicapped, yeah, then you provide for them, that's the welfare. Fine, Maji. Uh, right? But the real system is what? that you earn a living, kasb. Kasb is what Islam emphasizes, that nobody should rely on anyone else for their risk. They should earn their own risk themselves. Kasb, earn it yourself. That's the rule. If you can work with this, then you have a good way of living and governing and being as it was during the time of Umar. Uh, and the early part, well, throughout Uthman's reign also. Muslims are well-to-do. Everybody was well-to-do, alhamdulillah. So we, we had a well-to-do social milieu for about a thousand years, alhamdulillah. Very, for, very few people were uh, in dire straits or poor or destitute. We didn't allow that. We didn't allow poverty to be the norm in uh, Muslim rule. That poverty is on the verge of becoming kufr. So we, we don't believe in that. We don't believe in poverty. Uh, so this verse is not saying that if you're poor, you're okay. Allah, Allah, that's what Allah wants you to do. No, He's not saying that. <laughs> yeah, it's not about fatalism. Don't be fatalistic. Allah wants me to be poor, so I'm going to be poor. No, no, lazy, whatever. <laughs> Get of your, whatever it is you're sitting on, and then earn, do some cusp. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't be fatalistic, and don't depend on others. Alhamdulillah, you have a brain, you have a mind, you have a body, you have strength, you have everything. Uh, Have a little bit of ambition and self-esteem and self-respect. 
that you're not had asking for a handout uh, all the time from people. And that's, I think that's the way that I think the rich people obviously will uh, empower you and they should support you and your business ideas and your initiatives. So that's where the Muslim economy flourished. And alhamdulillah, everybody, that said, had a decent standard of living. We removed all the classes. We didn't have any class. Uh, in Lamasha, it's a few places where you might have, because of exploitation and because the government is not doing anything, or because of taxation, some people might have been deprived and maybe abused, and this and that, which happens in every government. No government is going to be exceptionally perfect. But this is the idea that Allah brings here to the discussion uh, that uh, risk is now in measure. And there are reasons why not everyone can be rich and there are reasons why why everybody should not be uh, the way that they are and destitute. وَهُوَ الَّذِي يُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْثَ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا قَنَطُوا وَيَنْشُورُ رَحْمَتَهُ وَهُوَ الْوَلِيُّ الْحَمِيدُ This is the point of Iman and trusting Allah uh, that you have faith and iman in Allah, iman billah, and this is the way Allah works. And He is the one who, uh, He is the one, the only one that sends down now relief, ghaith. Uh, here means rain. After they have become uh, hopeless and despondent. Mm. So after they lose hope that there's a drought coming. And there's no rain. Allah is the one who sends down ghaith. As in the other ayah, وَيُنَزِّلُ الْغَيْثِ He is the one who sends down ghaith. Ghaith is beneficial rain. Uh, as opposed to matar. Matar is any kind of rain. But ghaith is very specific. It's beneficial rain that Allah sends for help and for madad and so on. مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا After they have lost hope. After they become despondent. Uh, and then what does he do? He spreads his rahmah. So here Allah is saying that rain is Allah's rahmah. Mm, yeah, so anyway, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, obviously this is a more, it can be symbolic. It could be applied to somebody who doesn't have a job, somebody who's not making ends meet and he loses hope. Then after some struggle, then Allah sends help. Allah sends ghaith and ghoth. Both, that is Allah's help, and then he's able to come out of the situation he's in. That Allah then uh, spreads his rahmah. He is the one who is now the patron, the close one, and he is the one who is worthy of praise because he is al-hamid, the one who is worthy of praise. Um, anyway, so that is Allah subhanahu is saying Allah is al-wali, he is close He takes care of us, he patronizes us And he is our Lord He is the one who is going to suffice for us And so on So a Muslim must never lose hope in Allah's rahmah A Muslim must always keep up hope Yes, there might be some difficult days and difficult times But then that is how Allah works يَبْسُطُ وَيَقْبِضُ he spreads and he constricts. So he expands and he restricts. That's how he is. Al-Qabid, al-Basit. 
these are the names of Allah, and then he does that with human beings, so that human beings rely on him and do not rely on the means. So sometimes means are constricted and restricted, but Allah is not. Allah is always there. So Allah is always God. Obviously, there's an element of test there. Ibtila, as you'll see later. <coughs> so the ibtila is part of the process of developing the iman of a person, developing the taqwa of a person. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing you to see how you're going to now see Allah in terms of your rizq, which is your 24-7 preoccupation. Okay, 99.99% of all human beings are preoccupied with the idea of risk. That's all they think of. And that's all they do. And that is their whole life. Even when they enjoy themselves, they need risk. <laughs> you can't enjoy yourself if you don't have food and drink. So, a human being is totally preoccupied with risk. And Allah says, In Allah. Allah is the Razaq. So the test is that Allah is going to give you risk, and then He's going to restrict your risk, then He's going to expand your risk, and then He's going to restrict your risk. And there's a changing, alternating phases of every human being's life. It's to test the human being who does He really trust? Does He trust the means, or does He trust? the being who is in control of the means. So now, a Muslim will trust the one who controls all the means, the means of uh, spreading and the means of restricting. This is why, وَهُوَ الْوَلِيُّ الْحَمِيرُ So Allah, you must find now comfort in Allah's being close to you. He is your wali. And you must find now comfort in Allah's being praiseworthy. So even if he restricts your risk, he is still praiseworthy. And when he opens up your risk, he's still praiseworthy. And that amount of dedication, devotion to Allah is what's necessary for the Muslim to see, to observe, to witness and to realize. So this is how Allah is now training the individual subject and citizen of every nation or civilization so that uh, they, they keep everything in uh, a kind of balance, a mizan. Mm. The mizan helps you balance everything. So yes, the government is responsible for my well-being, but it's not responsible to micromanage. Uh, macro, yes. The government can do macro things. I'm not talking about big government, small government. <laughs> That's a modern thing. Yeah, we're not talking about that. We're talking about that, you know, if I don't have the means of earning today, then should I go and knock on the door of the Khalifa and say, give me food? Mm. You say, no. You trust Allah, you make dua. You go out and seek something. And if it comes, fine. If it doesn't, then you wait for Allah's rahmah and so on. So that's how you must see Allah as being in charge of the government also. So the, the government is not God. Allah is the one who is now creating you and taking care of you. The government is just a, or a shadow of Allah's now rule and authority and so on. It represents uh, the Prophet ﷺ in his representation of Khilafah. 
and so on. The government is not the be-all, end-all. Yeah. As you will see, inshallah. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ خَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْعُرْضِ وَمَا بَثَّ فِيهِ مَا مِنْ دَابَّ وَهُوَ عَلَى جَمْعِهِمْ إِذَا يَشَاءُ قَدِيرٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains how he expands in other areas too. That from his signs, there is the sign of Allah's creating the heavens and the earth, which are expansive, very huge, the heavens. <clears throat> that the heavens we have created with our own hands and we are expanding. The heavens expanding. Oh, so huge, huge, huge. So Allah is now al-basit. He is expanding. Basit. So spreading. And the earth is fixed. <laughs> if the earth expands, you're dead, basically. Right, you have a global earthquake if the earth expands. So Allah is qabil of the ard. Well, ard qabtatahu yom al qiyamah. Yes, Allah has qabt on the earth, but Allah has bust on the heavens. So the the bust, the spreading of the uh, the heavens, and the restriction of the earth. That's how you live, and that's how you survive. وَمَا بَثَّ فِيهِمَا مِنْ دَابَّ Whatever he has spread, بَثَّ Right? Uh, of now creatures on earth. So on earth, Allah, although the earth itself is مَخْبُوض, but the inhabitants of the earth are مَبْثُوث بَثَّ They're spread out. So many species and so many forms of creation and so many creatures. Yeah. That's how he works. So on the heavens, he is now expanding. On earth, he is restricting. But in the earth, he is expanding. What's he expanding in the earth? Dab. All creatures. And scientists and explorers are continuously finding more and more species every day. More and more species. We never, we never knew this one that was there. We never knew this was there. That's all. And then he says, وَهُوَ عَلَىٰ جَمْعِهِمْ إِذَا يَشْعَوْ قَدِيرٌ And he is, in terms of gathering all of this, all of these uh, creatures, he is very capable when he wants to. So time and place will come when all of these creatures, meaning human beings here, uh, they will be now gathered. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring them together uh, when he wants to. So Allah then has reasons why he keeps things spread out and he has reasons why he keeps things restricted. And that is how the cosmos and the goal works. That is all leading to a person's iman and faith and tawakkul and trust in Allah that Allah is capable of doing this as he is capable of doing this. Yeah. So our ta'alluq, our connection, must be with Allah who now rules the government. The government doesn't rule Allah. Allah rules the government. Allah does whatever he wants. And then human beings through their uh, schemes and through their establishments and organizations, they do what they do, whether good or bad. Mm. Yeah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings out the element of ibtila and testing for human beings, that Allah is testing you to see how much you have 
faith in Allah's ability to provide for you. وَمَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ And in the context of kasb and earning, there are things that you earn, but you don't realize that you're earning these things. So what are some things that human beings earn? So Allah says, human beings earn calamities. They bring about calamities, and they bring about inflictions, and they bring about disasters, and they bring about tests and inconveniences through their own hands. So whatever calamity, affliction that strikes you, it is because of your own hands earning, <clears throat> because your hands have earned this musibah, <clears throat> that you are receiving this. So now human beings are responsible for uh, now taking care of all the natural resources, and taking care of the environment, taking care of the climate, taking care of now distributing the gifts that Allah has given. So if such a musibah and such a problem or an infliction comes upon you, then it's because of your own doing. Okay, so this could be applied at the micro level or the macro level, either way. So an individual human being's life a certain calamity or disaster, God forbid, came about because of his miscalculation or because of his negligence. Right? You didn't do this properly with the kitchen sink, and this is what happened. <laughs> so that's your own earning. You earn that, musibah. It's not saying you can't say God did this, although he did it. But it's you that was now the cause for that musibah to come to you. So this is at a micro level. You don't take care of your health, and God forbid you contract this illness or this disease, then that's on you, because you're negligent. Hmm? That's not on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's on you. And, uh, and obviously some other forms of uh, sins will bring about certain other types of musibahs mentioned in hadith. So the hadith mentions this sin brings this, this sin brings this. So that's at a collective social level. The human beings will bring about these forms of afflictions because of their own earnings. And then at the governmental level, organized national level, there's mass exploitation, abuse and misuse of power and monopoly. And that causes famine and that causes people to go hungry and that causes people to become more sick or whatever. That's also فَبِمَاتْ كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ So the macro level. The micro level, the individual, and the macro level, society, community, the government. It's all what human beings do to themselves. It's not a master plan by God uh, that God wants to do this. It's you. So therefore, reforming the human being at the micro and macro becomes now the prerogative of the Nabi, of the Rasul, that they came to reform human beings' behavior at the micro level and at the macro level. So whether you're talking to somebody in Makkah as an individual person, a mushrik, or you're talking to Firaun and your Musa, your role is to reform the individual and also the government through Nabuwa, through Risala. So that's how now you will see now the Shura in the Muslim government, that if there are 
reasons and causes uh, for human destruction or calamities because of negligence of the human being, then you must address that. You must address the negligence, and you must address the crime, and you must address the sin. That's how you're going to be able to establish this law and order and this uh, good living on earth if you're going to do that. So human beings, when they unfortunately see things in terms of disasters or calamities, then there should be some introspect first. What have I done to earn this? Again, the word earning, kasb, which is what the word here, kasabat. Have I earned this? So if you have, then you make tawbah, you give sadaqah, you make dua, and you reform, repair your mistakes. That's the way forward. The way forward is not to whine and to complain and all of that. So here, we see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you must hold yourself responsible for some of the problems that the world is creating. So most of the world's problems are man-made. As mentioned early on, it was in Surah Al-Rum, ظهر الفساد في البر والبحر بما كسبت أيدي الناس. That facade and chaos has become prevalent on earth because of what people earn. Yeah, same thing there, same theory, same idea there, same idea here. That human beings, before they start attacking God, why does God allow people to go hungry? Okay, why don't you ask your government why it monopolizes all the resources of the world and why it exploits people? Why do you ask that question? Now, you've made your government God and your corporations God, so you ask that God. <laughs> you can't ask our God. He's fine. Uh, he creates perfectly. It's you that you have assumed to be the caretaker and the police of the world, and you are doing all these forms of abuse and exploitation, and you're the reason why people are suffering in the world. You will be more willing to sink tons and tons of grain in the ocean so that the stock market doesn't go down. And you won't feed the poor people in Africa. You'll let those ships uh, just throw the grains overboard into the sea. They'll dump all the grains in the sea. And you don't care. Why? Because you want the stock market to go up and up and up. So now, who's now the reason why people are hungry? Is it God? Is it you? Is it you? Mm. This is what this ayah says. فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ أَيْدِيكُمْ أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ All people, all of you, you're all responsible for this. However, what does the divine do? Okay. Human beings, they attract problems. What does the divine do? This is what the divine does. وَيَعْفُوًا كَثِيرٌ He pardons so many sins, mistakes, so many forms of negligence. He pardons. He overlooks. He does not reprimand you. He does not catch you. He doesn't punish you for those sins. So you can see that the divine is fine. What is the divine order? About forgiveness and uh, overlooking, pardoning. Do you pardon yourselves? No. No. So if there's a mechanical issue and a human uh, mistake, 
in an accident, then you, you blame the human being. Uh, the engineer fell asleep on the train and the train crashed. So no, that's human error, not divine error. Mm. So it could be that many times there are human errors and Allah forgives them, Allah pardons them, and Allah now uh, protects them from failure and from disaster. In kullu nafsil lamma alayha hafil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that every nafs, every soul has a protector, a guardian angel with him at all times. So there are many forms of uh, disasters, potential disasters, and many forms of uh, potential problems that are now thwarted by the hafil who is with you, the protector. وَيَعْفُوا and kathir. So what does the divine do? The divine forgives and pardons so many sins and mistakes as mentioned uh, in another ayah uh, which we have done before. وَلَوْ يُعَخِذُ اللَّهُ النَّاسَ بِظُلْمِهِمْ مَا تَرَكَ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ دَابَّةٍ Or in another ayah مَا تَرَكَ عَلَىٰ ظَهْرِهَا مِنْ دَابَّةٍ If Allah was to punish and capture people for their sins, He would not have spared a single creature on earth. If that was the norm, that if divine retribution is the norm, then nobody would be here on the planet. And that's the meaning of this. He forgives so many blunders, mistakes and sins. You have no idea how much he forgives. And you are not to overcome him. You will not be able to escape him on earth. <clears throat> Nor do you have besides Allah any wali, any patron, anyone close to you, nor do you have any helper. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that once you have this level of tawheed in you, then you will resort to Allah, you will find comfort in Allah. But if you don't, you will be seeking comfort from other things and other beings besides Allah. And they won't be able to help you the way you want them to help you. They may help you in small ways, but not overall, because the, at the end of the day, uh, you will be destroyed or you will be uh, a loser or you will just lose hope in everything. Hmm? So here the emphasis in establishing a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that every Muslim individual and subject and citizen and also the people who are ruling the Muslim people, they should have a connection with Allah. That Allah is now the ultimate person, being who is in control of all of our affairs, and we should believe in Him and worship Him, and so on. وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ الْجَوَارِ فِي الْبَحْرِ كَالْعَلَامِ إِنْ يَشَأْ يُسْكِنَ الرِّيحَ فَيَظْلَلَنَّ رَوَاكِدَ عَلَى ظَهْرِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِكُلِّ صَبَّارٍ شَكُورٍ this ayah we have discussed before at the end of Surah Luqman and so on. But we can, inshallah, say something about it here also. And from his signs of his existence, uh, there are uh, the, what do you call it, al-jawar, fil-bahr al-alam. That they are these, uh, what do you call, running things, the ships in the sea. Mm. as if they are now landmarks. Here he says mountains. 
So here you see the sea is a, a place where there's only water and there's the wind. And with the wind, there's going to be clouds and there's going to be rain and there's going to be a lot of waves up and down, big and small, and so on. And you see this, uh, the ships there, they're like specks. When you see the ships from the air, they're just a speck in the sea. And you are amazed as how that a ship does not sink in the sea. So Allah says, إِنْ يَشَأْ يُسْكِنَ Had he wanted, he could have stopped the wind. Hmm. Yeah. And then they would have remained motionless on the back of the sea and the, the, the ships would not move had there been no wind to help them move. Hmm. Meaning the, the art of traveling on the sea Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the human beings the ability, the intelligence to travel by sea. But if you look at the sea, it's one huge mass of water and then the wind can blow this way and that way. And there's no reason, logical reason why the ship would not sink and capsize or the people on the ship would not be thrown overboard. It is only Allah's follow that he is able, that human beings are able to travel on the sea. So this is how Allah subhanahu is saying that there is tawheed here. Allah is the one who makes this happen. And Allah is the one. So man has the ability to overcome uh, the sea this way by engineering uh, ships and vessels in such a way through the laws of gravity or whatever it is they use in order to determine the law of physics. And that they're able to now uh, navigate oceans and oceans of sea so that they can benefit themselves and other people through transportation and through transferring goods from one continent and one country to another. <clears throat> but if Allah wanted to, he could have withheld the wind. So all your physics and your engineering aside, if the father of Allah is not with you in the terms of you know, allowing the winds to help you. Yeah. <clears throat> in the case of sailing, obviously it's very evident that the, you can only sail if the winds are in your favor. <clears throat> in terms of now modern day sailing, uh, if the wind was not there, then it will also be a huge impediment towards that and so on. In this, there are many ayat, many signs, many evidences for everyone who is exceptionally patient and for everyone who is exceptionally grateful. So these are two words that we should think of. Why is Allah mentioning people who are exceptionally patient? So the sailor and the person traveling on sea has to be exceptionally patient. Otherwise, they commit suicide. <laughs> you go crazy on the sea. So you need a tremendous amount of resistance, resilience, and patience in order to travel on the sea. And that's how Allah is saying that when you have this amount of patience, you'll see Allah's is, Allah is with you. And without Allah's fadl, you would not be able to travel on the sea. So sabbar is there. So now the sabbar will see many signs of Allah on the sea as he is now patient.
and he is resilient and he is now willing to take the long journey and long long journeys because they become very tedious also monotonous and so there are many forms of sabr and many reasons for sabr when you travel by sea shakur is now very evident also and you have many reasons to be extremely grateful at sea one is that you have the winds in your favor number one number two is that you have water food sustenance on deck number three that you have good companions and you have a good captain on the sea and number four that you're not the boat isn't capsizing and number three is that you're not thrown overboard and you're not drowning so many reasons for shukr so extremely grateful and extremely patient likulli sabarin shukur that's why the intensive form the mubalaqa form is used here uh, for both qualities that human beings become very patient at sea and they become very grateful at sea also so, but they uh, if they are patient and grateful that's great but they must find signs of allah's now engagement in that it mustn't just be oh i become a very patient person because i can travel on sea that's not enough what allah is saying in fi dhalika la ayat that they must find signs and evidences of allah's might and power and glory in the way they travel at sea and that's how you connect yourself to tawhid and to the oneness of allah allah is the one who does all this and so on so there when you're navigating especially in the old days you're navigating towards somewhat of an uncertain destiny <coughs> uncertain destination you don't know exactly when you're going to reach your destination and you sometimes you're guided in the night by the stars and you don't know which way to go and you're guided by the sun and so on. so there's a lot of insights into how you run a government from understanding how you navigate a ship so then you have to navigate and you have to negotiate the wind you have to negotiate the waves and you have to negotiate the storms and you have to negotiate the what do you call it the impatience of everybody on board you have to handle their whining and whinging <laughs> and then you have to be careful there's no mutiny on board and so on so so with the shura if the shura board sees how you manage a ship on the sea then that's also an example for ahlu shura as this size mentioned surah shura that you should be able to see how you are going to take care of the community just as you are captain of a ship you know, just as you're helping a ship get from one point to another point and it takes a lot of grit a lot of stamina determination patience forbearance and strength at the same time it takes a lot of tawakkul uh, on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that's now the parable and you know, the mathal that Allah is using with this ayah as the ayah of shura is coming uh, very soon inshallah we'll talk about that ayah next week May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to read and recite the Qur'an, to understand it and to apply it and to learn more and more about the signs of Allah through the Qur'an. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khairuf. Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi wa rahmatika ya Allah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil